Welcome back to Crawl Space. How's it going, Lance and Chloe? Doing excellent. How are you? I am great. Thank you. This is episode two of Crawl Space. We're here to discuss what we've learned since the last episode. We interviewed two people. We talked to Tarek again, who we spoke to in episode one. But we also spoke with Brianna's dad, Bruce Maitland. Bruce talked about his daughter's case and shared some personal details about Brianna. Sure, and, and we're, we're, we're looking at it from the um, eyes of people that have never had anything like this happen to, to them. And after we mentioned Brianna on uh, the Missing More Murray podcast, he had emailed us and said, I heard you mention my daughter, Bree. Uh, I'm open for a discussion. So that was really... That was, that, that, that was really um, kind of stunning when when you get that email. So we had a conversation with him. Um, he, he said things he said things during a conversation that wasn't recorded uh, that he kind of brought up during our interview where you know Brianna is in is in a little room in a box in his head. you know he doesn't want to open this up. So he prefers at this point to not talk about Brianna. As his daughter, as as a person, he wants to talk about the case and said he will answer as much as he possibly can. But he has shut off a lot of the memories that he's had. Uh, he, he Not intentionally. He just said, you know, it was a tough time. It was a terrible time. And he doesn't remember a lot of what happened in the immediate um you know, few months and years around that time. So the investigator, Greg Overacker, he said, Greg knows a lot more if you need some details, you know, for that, for that time frame. If you need some details, Greg, Greg will remember more than I will. Um, it was an emotional conversation, but I think it was more emotional on our end. Every time that there was maybe even a little bit of a, like a joke or a laughter involved, I, I, it's just, it's very, it's very surreal to, have someone on with this subject matter with someone who's so close to them. And it feels, it feels strange to make a joke. It feels strange to make a joke. And, you know, he, he would say something and start laughing at what he said. And it still feels strange to laugh every single word and every single reference and, and everything is just, you, you want to, you want to make sure that it's uh you're respectful and, I don't know. I've just never done anything like that before. I think it was the first time for all of us interviewing a witness who was so closely related to the victim and knew them in such a personal level. I feel like you have to shut yourself off. I feel like there's a lot of uh, reporters out there, investigative journalists and reporters who are so good at shutting themselves off, but we're so new to the game. And I'm not ashamed to admit that. I still have feelings. You know, if if Bruce, if Bruce Maitland is going to start talking about Brianna and you hear his voice crack, I'm probably going to mute my mic because like, I'm like, that's going to, that's going to put a lump in my throat. Like that is, that is really hard. But there's some, some reporters out there who are able to do something like that. And we're just not at the point of, you know, just not there yet. And we're not seasoned to that level. Exactly. So at this point, we're going to we're going to ask him very direct questions based on what he wants to be asked. And, you know, he says, I don't want to talk about this, this and this. Fantastic. We'll figure out a way to uh, to to talk about something else. What are the first things that came up for you guys with talking with Bruce Maitland? And again, we're going to play both of these interviews in their entirety. They'll be, they'll be up on this feed in just a few days. 
But um, let's hear from you guys first. What are the things that stick out to you? His statement that he wasn't actually sure if Keely Lacrosse had been definitively cleared. That was a statement that was made by law enforcement early on. But to Bruce's knowledge, no evidence was actually presented to definitively rule out Keely Lacrosse as being involved in the disappearance. Police have previously said that she was ruled out, but they didn't add any additional details, like whether she was alibied or what that alibi might be. So I think one has to use their discretion if they are going to take that as fact, that the police just simply said that they ruled it out without any supplementing details. To your best understanding, um, why was Keeley LaCrosse cleared of any involvement in Brianna's disappearance by law enforcement? I'm not sure that she was actually cleared. I just think they felt that they had gone uh, as far as they could with her in, in, you know, in the present circumstances. And a real quick follow-up to that, have you had any communication with Kaylee uh, since then? No. I, I did uh, interview uh, um, Mike Stebbins one time, and uh, Kaylee was, came into the you know, it, it was outside, and she came into the area and, you know, was kind of introduced to me, but uh, she, I didn't have any interaction with her, no. She offered up nothing. Well, there have been some reports that she might have been out of town with family um, during the time of her disappearance, and that there were also some reports that she was behaving in a way that was unseasonably smug when asked about the disappearance by Shauna LaBelle. Um, I was wondering if you knew anything about that. Uh, I really don't know. I know, I know that at one point, um, I mean, I know she was questioned by police and at one point she was involved in, um, some kind of interstate, drug trafficking charge or something and uh, she was facing some pretty serious charges and uh, I mean the police interviewed her you know in light of those charges hoping that something would you know she'd be willing to talk about something but uh, to my knowledge nothing ever came out of that interview of value to them one thing that really stood out to me was the the other boyfriend we've we've we hear about the boyfriend who left Canada from a party and saw Brianna's car but there's another boyfriend out there we knew that among the many people that Brianna was staying with after she moved out of her parents home there were two boyfriends one of whom was James Robitaille and the other one at this juncture we haven't been able to identify so Bruce was able to give us some anecdotal details of their time together, but couldn't remember his name. There was another uh, boyfriend that she had uh, in the local town, uh, being of age, 
and I remember her staying uh, with with him at the, you know, at his parents' house uh, for. I, I would think it was a few week period at least. Uh, I remember she broke her arm during the course. So I think they were riding go karts or something at the time, and she got in a minor, you know, minor accident on that and broke her arm. You know, actually, the boyfriend there seemed like a nice young kid too, really. seemed like this like mysterious kind of character I don't know how long they knew each other for no one seems to know his name right we'd love to talk to him if he if he's out there if he's listening but uh otherwise if, if his name is in public the police um don't consider him a person of interest Bruce doesn't Tarek hasn't heard his name Greg doesn't know his name because of the same reasons yeah, I, I'm willing to accept it that he has nothing to do with why we're doing this podcast right now. And I totally agree, but I'm not saying as a person of interest. I'm saying as somebody who might have heard a name or heard a situation that 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 Brianna described to him as a confidant, as a confidant. She lived with him. That's an intimate relationship. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it's even something he doesn't even know. Uh, he might know. He doesn't even know he knows. Yeah, doesn't know that's important. Exactly. I found it interesting and kind of heartwarming when Bruce was talking about how Brianna dealt with being bullied. I think uh, she encountered uh, some bullying uh, at the initial high school she went to. Uh, it was trouble getting, I mean, she was very popular, uh, and I think the bullying, you know, came from other girls, mostly, uh, because, I mean, Brianna captured people's attention, and, uh, you know, she was a very, very beautiful young lady, and, uh, and I think there was some jealousy going on there, no doubt, and, uh, kind of, I think what happened when she went to uh, Enosburg High School, which we were literally on, kind of on the town line. Um, and uh, when she went there, transferred to there, uh, sort of the same scenario kind of repeated itself in some ways. I mean, she was very much outspoken, speaking up for the underdog, too. Uh, when something was going on that she didn't like, she would be the one to certainly speak up about it and that came to protecting other people you know other kids that possibly were being bullied or something uh, Brianna was not afraid to get involved in it where do you think that came from I just think she had a uh, she had a really strong sense of uh, the good in uh, the good in everybody and uh, had a strong sense of justice when she's seen that justice was kind of not being done or, you know, she certainly, uh, you know, that affected her. I thought it was interesting and also very sad when he talks about how he felt like in the past he could rely on law enforcement to 
keep him and his family safe, but the events that unfolded with Brianna's disappearance was sort of a rude awakening and caused a major sense of distrust. And it's the same case with the media. You know, he criticized a lot of media outlets for slanting the case and forming their own narrative to get better ratings or to appeal to their audience. Um, and that's something that we're really trying not to do. So I thought that was a really important element of our discussion. One of the things I noticed in your podcast that I really liked is, is you just took a very open approach as to just kind of a general gathering of the facts. Uh, what I noticed a lot about a lot of the different coverages and stories and, and, you know, like the disappeared episode, I refused to really speak to those people because I had had it with that kind of thing because, uh, and it happened in that episode also, uh, they tend to slant it. They, they take it where they want to go, what they think happened or their conclusions. And it doesn't matter who you seem to talk to that they promote that end of it. And, um, I just, I felt that uh, you folks, you know, took a real open-ended to it and, and you know, you just can't help but wonder, you know, even after all these years, that someone knows something important um, that has not come forward with it because they either don't know it's important or, uh, or they don't want to because at that point their whole life maybe will change, but the fact that people in the media when the story is out there at least know that it's not forgotten and that uh, and hopefully you know they'll their life circumstances might change or that, that they may actually then at some point choose to come forward also mentions a uh, very delicate moment in Brianna's life um, where she was abused. And this is something I hadn't heard before. Chloe, you can chime in, um, please, if you had heard it before. But uh, to my knowledge, this was something new um, about Brianna having been molested. Which is just horrible, heartbreaking information. Um, I'm not sure. I think it's something that was discovered during the investigation. It wasn't something that the family necessarily knew about until after. It was kind of a residual piece of information that was dug up. Um, I'd like to know who the perpetrator was to see if there was any type of connection again, but I think all in all it's just a isolated and incredibly unfortunate situation that she was victimized in. spent how long in in that area before you before you left how long was it 20 years or so and how long was it after brianna's disappearance that you left uh it was about it was about two years 
And was it due to the attention that you were getting from the disappearance? Uh, partially. Partially was, uh, this, this, is tough. this is a tough question. <laughs> but, because uh, uh, I have to kind of go back to stuff I don't really want to think about. But uh, uh, it was partially due to the attention. Uh, people would treat you very differently. Uh, you know, you couldn't go into a store or anywhere else uh, without someone, you know, uh, wanting to talk to you about it or something. Uh, it was partially due to things that came out in the course of the police investigation that made it very, very difficult to interact with people. Um, and I will give you one example. Uh, is it, one of the things that came out in the investigation was that uh, an 18-year-old uh, male had uh, molested Brianna when she was 13. And, you know, those people were neighbors. So, and, you know, Brianna never told anybody, her best friends about it, but uh, the police, you know, have verified it. And, uh, you know, there was other situations where people had said that they had interactions with Brianna that may or may not be true. But uh, to see those people on a weekly basis in the stores or something, uh, you know, it just makes your blood boil. And, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. And then there was a lot of other situations where, uh, you know, quite frankly, you know, I was involved in talking to people and asking questions and uh, getting in confrontations with people that uh, were not the best people. Um, and sometimes those confrontations would get pretty ugly, and my son had threats. Uh, I had people coming up my driveway, which was a mile long in the woods at night, and then racing away when we tried to chase them down to find out who they were. So, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I pissed some people off during the course of all that, too. So you, you can't uh, try to live your life looking over your shoulder to some extent at that. And there was just other situations where I was doing a lot of consulting forestry work. Uh, I was out in the fields and woods and just dealing with a case of where, you know, you, you see a piece of clothing, or you see a flock of buzzards in the field, or you see that, and you have to stop and force yourself to go and see, and, and that became kind of intolerable to live with. It took me a good 30 to 40 seconds to comprehend that he had actually said that Brianna was a person because it was it was kind of it was very much out of the blue right it was I didn't I that was a that was a curveball I didn't see that coming at all and he said it and he said Brianna and and I was trying to put it together in my head like did Brianna see it happen or did someone tell Brianna and then no okay Brianna was the one yeah that that was uh that was something that uh, that that really came out of the blue, and I don't even know what follow up question would have been appropriate at that time. He gave a lot of information right there, but it's also terrifying 
to hear him say that this is the family of a woman who went missing and was maybe murdered, right? Maybe something awful happened to her. And this family is still getting threatened by people who they believe might have been involved in Brianna's disappearance. How fucking crazy is that to you? So, yeah, what is that? Like a fucking power trip, right? Is that a power trip? It's like we we got this. I personally think that there's Brianna's and who knows, maybe a year from now we'll look back on this episode and we'll be like, wow, you were totally wrong. But I personally think that if something bad happened to Brianna, if she was murdered, I think it was an accident. I think anybody who was trying to scare her scared her too much. That's just where my head's at right now. If if it was a murder. Um, but if that happens, what you escalate it or people in the in the town escalate it to the point where they feel that that's what what is that cool? Like, what is it? What is it that you would threaten the family? Just let it fucking go. You know, you, you you've gotten away with this or people have gotten away with something. Even if you didn't have a part of it, like, why are you threatening? How fucking crazy is that? Is that crazy or is that just boredom? It's it's crazy to insert yourself in something so tragic and dark. I don't think that the actual people responsible necessarily were the ones that were threatening because you'd think that they got away with it. So, like, why insert yourself further? I think it's people that are just, like, like psychopaths that have nothing else to do with their time but mess with people that are only in the spotlight because of something terrible that happened. I mean, we really? see people. But, really, yeah. We see people taunting we, like families of of families of victims all the time. Like that catch me killer guy was Alden Olson. Like people taunt family members of missing people, and it's it's a terrible thing, but it happens. So the prevalence of antisocial personality disorder, which is the formal disorder where we hear about psychopaths, the prevalence in the general population is point two to three percent. It's seen in up to 30% of psychiatric outpatients, and it's greater than 70% in prison populations and substance abuse clinics. It's also possible that people that are taunting the family aren't just psychopaths. I go there because it's people that clearly have a disregard for other people's feelings um, and no regard for consequences, but there are also people who are just disorganized and not in the right state of mind in other ways that behave that way. Shit. Right. Disorganized. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But but where I was going with that is that, well, hell, I I think these people might be the people who did something to Brianna because how many people out there in the Montgomery, Vermont area are the type of people who are going to taunt a family of a missing woman when we know the the area is, is pretty rural. The amount of people is is pretty small comparatively to the rest of the uh, country and and some other parts of the world, so I don't know. I kind of I kind of think there's a good chance it was related to Brianna's disappearance, and it wasn't just some just some person, just some uh, Alden Olson type person who is trying to torture the family. Could be just some kid who thought he was playing a joke. It's a sparse area, like you said. Um, so huge news events are all everyone's talking about so it's on everyone's radar so it kind of pulls out those like delinquent type kids who have a sick sense of humor and just people that are not in a good mental state that are willing to do something like that for a kick
So let's talk about the interview with Tarek that we conducted as well. And this is the second interview with journalist Tarek that we conducted. And this one was uh, was a little deeper than the first one. But the first thing I think we that, that is probably on all of our minds is uh, the psychic talk with Tarek. That Tarek brings up um, a psychic and, and information that he has learned from a psychic, which he cross-references it with information he's learned from other places. to actually what happened with the car and I asked the psychic about that and this is what she told me. She says that um, on that night Brianna got behind the wheels of her car, she got in and she was driving, it was dark and then she came in front of the, the abandoned bar and she saw three men on the road and she saw them at the last moment so she hit the brakes quickly and she stopped and she was terrified and because the, the side door uh, you know, it's an older car, so, so the side, the doors don't close automatically when you reach certain speed. And so what the psychic believes is that, or that's what she said that she saw, that's what she told me, is that one of those guys got in the car on the passenger side, got in the car, opened the, the, the driver's side door for another man to get in, and then there was a struggle, and then they managed to grab her out of the car while the car is still running in the middle of the road. It's, you know, it's on, uh, like, parking mode, I guess, but it's still in the middle of the road. That's what the psychic claim. And then what I believe happened is that for some reason that designed guy, the, the taller guy, got in behind the wheel, tried to uh, probably, I guess, reverse the car, and it just swerved around and it hit the barn. Uh, the thing about the car is that the Oldsmobile is a really long car, um, and the road is, like, is it's not that wide. So, I mean, if you want to do a U-turn on that road, it would practically be impossible. I remember, I remember going on that road, even with my car, I wasn't able to do a U-turn. I had to go, like, in the field uh, and then make a U-turn. So, the only way that you can make a U-turn is if you go on in a field or you drop in a ditch or something, or you go forward where the car is found. So, I mean... I believe that he wanted to hit the power pedal, but he couldn't reach it because his, um, you know, the seat was moved uh, way, um, uh, was moved forward. And what he did was instead he hit the brake, and the car just swerved around. And think of it like if you go on a space, um, like a closed space, like a parking, and you just instead of hitting the power uh, pedal, you hit the brake pedal, and you just go from like reach, uh, you go from zero to like thirty miles in like ten seconds. That's probably what happened. And you know. That's what my informant said that the guy involved told him. And I mean, I have no reason not to believe that. I'm not saying that's what happened, but I, I think it's really hard for someone to make that up. And Greg Overacker seems to say the same, the same thing. So. I think Tarek is a very sharp, young, uh, ambitious, investigative journalist. I think he perhaps relies a little bit too much on the psychic and what that enables his imagination to do with this case. It's a very, very sexy notion to think that three men were standing in the middle of the road waiting for Brianna with shotguns and they you know she swerves off the road life's not like that they're not waiting there 
They're not waiting there uh, for cell phone calls or walkie-talkie calls. We're talking about 17, 18, 19-year-old people. That means they have to wait there to, to for every car. You know, they they have to have constant communication. This isn't in cold blood. You know, this isn't. Maybe it is. I don't know. But this this does not strike me as uh, an ambush, because the psychic told me, and and he references the psychic often, and some of it got cut. I just want to say. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much of it is actually in there. Still, there's probably very little of it that's okay. still in there. <clears throat> Um, but but he did mention it, and and to, to the point where it is the the first thing we have to bring up here. I just don't think for the significance of whatever brought Brianna to that spot was enough for a perfectly executed ambush based on a psychic's determination. Yeah, I mean, as as we learned from doing Missing Maura Murray, a psychic's determination is not something that you want to lean on. Uh, th- this is a category of true crime that isn't exactly true crime. It, it sort of leans a little closer towards paranormal. Right. We say it all the time. We say, hey, I would love to go to a psychic. I'd, I enjoy going to the psychic because they are fresh eyes a very intuitive mind and they might give you something that you haven't thought about because you've been so in the forest, right? You can't see the forest from the trees, right? So you've been so in there, you can't see it. You get a psychic, they're more intuitive than you. They can give you some sort of like um, some, some insight to something you haven't seen yet. Uh, What I don't, what I don't uh, subscribe to is the details three men in the road ready to ambush her. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I think it would require some ex- some level of communication from multiple parties. So there's three men in the middle of the road. They would have to have some sort of idea of when Brianna would be coming down. So there was no cell phone service there. We know that. So did they have walkie-talkies? How sophisticated was this? And how many people saw them while they were waiting for Brianna to come down. How many cars went by? How long were they there? And if they were trying to be sneaky at all, committing a crime in the center of a, of a main road doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Just standing in the center of the road. And not to mention that her belongings were outside of her driver's side door near the barn. So that seems to be where she was extracted, not on the road. It all screams of... We want to scare her, and it went wrong. We told her, hey, you get you get this thing to us or else, and I don't know what this thing is, and I don't know what the or else is, but she was delivered a message that was probably a threat. You get this thing to us or else, and you meet us here, and it was we're going to scare you. And that scare turned into, holy shit, she's dying. Speaking of this this moment and these people, and a few times we've heard something about the tall guy and the tall guy getting behind the driver's seat, and he's the one who crashed the car. And uh, there was a genuine moment in there where uh, where I, I thought that the tall guy was Ramon Ryan's, um, but it turns out that's not who 
the tall guy is. Um, so let, let's play that clip. specificity of three men blocking her and 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 she has to swerve um i take that with a little grain of salt but i do like the breakdown afterward how a car can get into that position do you know about anyone that was in her circle of friends that was tall like that oh i do know of one guy but his name was not made public and he's he's older so i don't think he um i don't think he would be in her circle of friends with he was involved in drugs, and I know for a fact that uh, Rihanna went partying to his house a couple times before she went missing. Uh, I do have that information. So. But his name has not been made public, so I hope at some point we can talk about him, name him, and say this is what I know, but right now it's not something I can go into. Oh, so we're not talking about Ramon Ryans as the tall guy? The press and, and the police and everyone just focused on Ramon Ryans and, and Nathaniel Jackson. Well, I do believe that they know what happened, and they probably may have been involved in this, at least the disposal of her body, or making sure that uh, you know things got into uh, got, uh, that things went in a way where people would forget about it and just carrying people off. I don't think they were directly involved. I think a lot of people that were involved have not been named, but these two guys, I don't think they were directly involved. I don't think Ramon Reyes was anywhere near the bar that night. No. I think I think people are overcomplicating the entire scenario. So you have the car that is backed into the barn and you need to you need to add elements onto that scenario that fit what you're trying to come up with. It's very possible that she backed up to the barn because she was waiting for somebody to come down the street, maybe she was going to flash her lights so that they knew that she was there to pick up something i'm just coming up with like a like i'm just coming up with like a like a scenario and these people who show up they're there because they want to scare her and they accidentally you know things escalate and and they accidentally they accidentally kill her right and during that during that moment she tries to she tries to escape and part of her escape is to get the car out of there so she puts the car into reverse and she's trying to go this way. You know, she's trying to do a two-point or three-point turn to get out of there. And she backs into the barn, right? But it's a lot more interesting if you come up with a scenario where a tall guy who can't fit into the car can't put the car into gear. The, I don't even know where that comes from. Well, there's a few tall guys uh, in the case. Why, there, why right? in the world would any tall guy be in the driver's seat when she was in the driver's seat? It didn't just come from the psychic. Greg Overacker mentioned the tall guy as well um, as from his um, informant, who we believe is probably the same informant that Tarek had. And then the psychic also backed that up. Um, So it's not completely out of the blue. Not completely out of the blue. Okay. Okay. The tall guy that we're talking about. Wouldn't even be able to get into that driver's seat. Not necessarily true. Well, he would he like, would whip the car he would whip the seat back pretty quickly, probably. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's tough to break it down at this point because we're, we're well, getting everybody into else is breaking it down. Is no, everybody else is breaking it down. I'm just trying to like I'm just trying to to, to 
pokes them. If if people keep breaking it down, we turn into like folklore again, right? If people break it down and and we say, oh wow, well that must have happened. Well, like realistically, it probably didn't happen. If you get somebody who's so tall in there that they can't literally put the gear shift down into drive because their legs so long, when they're pressing the accelerator and they back up because it only goes into reverse and they're still hitting the accelerator, that guy has to be like over seven feet tall. Well, I just wanted to mention Ramon Ryans as not being the tall guy <laughs> because uh, I had thought that he was the entire time because he's definitely over six feet. Right. Yeah, he's six one. He's six one, so I just assumed, and and that's my my fault. But so that was a moment that 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 I realized that I was wrong, and I just assumed that most of the audience was thinking that the tall guy, quote unquote, was also Ramon Ryan's. So that's why I wanted to bring it up here. The explanation doesn't yeah. make sense to me. It's just not. It's not plausible, in my opinion. Yeah, but I have think- you gotten behind the wheel of a car with someone who is driving it, who is at least a foot shorter than you? And can can you steer that car well? Because I cannot. That happens to me often, actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like, I'm not a tall guy. But also, I haven't been in a situation like that. You're talking about a situation where this whoever's in that driver's seat is in control. If he's gotten into that driver's seat, he's in control. And if he can't get the car into drive, which is two gears down from reverse, he knows it's in reverse. He's he's. He's yeah, shifting his leg not, and putting it into drive. Might not be about the gear. It might be more about the wheel, um, and and turning the wheel a certain point might be hitting your legs if you're a foot or more taller than the person who whose seat is I there. I see yeah. what you're saying right there, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I will counter with that and saying why didn't why didn't he back that up when he realized he backed it up? If he had so much wherewithal to to figure out like you know all that, why didn't he pull it forward? There's no wherewithal. There's no it's it happens quick. It all happened quick. Whatever happened happened very quick. Whatever happened There's, happened very no quick. Whatever no happened happened very quick about and she was much. taken away from that car. Whether whether and, and it's almost incidental. Like maybe she maybe she didn't maybe she did or didn't put that car into the side of that house. But whatever happened when it when it hit that house, that's when she was taken away. Whether it was a tall guy behind the wheel or her behind the wheel. Something bad was happening at that moment, and she was taken away. It's completely incidental, but I do think that it's possible that a a tall person, a foot or so, right around that range, taller than the person who the car was uh, directed. You know, yeah, her was, settings the, the were car set was, for. Yeah, her settings were set for. That could have made it a lot harder to drive. Could have made it easy to back into something. It's a really, so. it's a really sexy idea. I guess so. Because yeah. I'm a, with Lance on this one. Because you have a scenario. You have a scenario that, like, wow, that that's, you know, that a tall guy could do that. Or if she got into the car, they tried to scare her. She tried to get away. She panicked, put it in reverse, and just was flooring the gas the entire time and just was hitting the gear shift no matter what, ends up going into reverse first. That's probably what happened. Yeah, I mean, there's a million scenarios. I'm, I'm just saying that. That you can't just say that the tall guy isn't tall enough to where that doesn't make sense that he would have crashed. So what doesn't make sense is that um, if Brianna, it's it's clear at least to me that Brianna was extracted by the barn because that's where the yes. belongings were strewn around. So for the tall guy theory to work, Brianna would have had to have been extracted from the road, and that doesn't fit with what was left at the crime scene so okay good now we're getting somewhere
one of the Facebook groups about the about the Brianna Maitland case. Um, that that group has actually blocked Bruce Maitland and other family members from participating in it. Um, that part of these this interview is very very interesting to me. What do you guys make of this? I mean, I don't make anything more of it than what we're about to play. Some people there know, know things that, and it's not just me. I mean, a couple of months ago, they were on the Brianna Maitland Facebook page, not the Facebook group, the Facebook page. You know, the administrator said locals know what happened, but uh, they're content with keeping the culture of silence. Well, I will say this, though. If you check at the family missing page, uh, and this is coming, I believe, from Bruce Maitland, I just want to read what he said. And this was after I was told that he wouldn't let people on the page. To, to, uh, this was in September. To all those who visit the other Brianna Maitland website, so this is the one that we talked about, please be aware it is run by someone who doesn't know Brie and is doing it in spite of the family's objections and has blocked me from the site. Please take to the, to the time to voice this on the other side. Thanks, Brie's dad. So Bruce Maitland wrote that on which, on which, uh, which site? The Brianna Maitland missing family page which is kind of like there's not a lot of activities once in a while Bruce Maitland writes a message or something like thanking people or saying this is I remember Brianna because I saw this and it makes me cry or whatever yeah so Bruce Maitland who doesn't comment that often only when it's important enough wrote that to specifically say just to let you know out there that he's letting people know this 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 particular site is is not endorsed by the family and as a matter of fact he's blocked I didn't know that he was blocked, but Brianna's aunt, uh, Tammy Fisher, did tell me that um, she went into more details. I can, I don't, I have the email somewhere, but you know, I can look it up. But she did say that, you know, that person doesn't allow the family in. Maybe we'll reach out and see if he wants to be on the show. That'd be great. I think you know, a lot of people should be on your show. When a special interest group about a missing person blocks a family member of a missing person with seemingly no cause, you just have to ask why. I've heard of cases where the, the there was like a discussion about a missing person or a murder where the parents or the family member started to get argumentative with people. And I still think they should never be kicked out. But... It's different in that, like, he didn't do anything to, like, violate any rules of the group. He wasn't harassing anyone. He wasn't commenting. Like, he wasn't doing anything, it seems, at least to me. All three of us have talked to Bruce Maitland on air and on the phone. We've emailed with him. We've texted with him. Does this man seem like anybody who would harass a Facebook group? No. This is what I'm saying. I don't think that he did anything that would make it so he shouldn't be in that group at all. Why was he blocked from this group? And who's who's in this group? Um, it's approximately like a thousand members. I'm in the group. Um, it's a closed group, so you have to ask to be accepted. There are many of Brianna's friends that are members and post regularly. There is a conversation that happens in the Facebook group that is very interesting, and it it seemed to me a little bit uh, like one troll might be antagonizing one legit member of the group. But the more research we did, 
And the more looking at it we did, it seemed like uh, these two people knew each other and they're very close to the case. And the dialogue between the two in pseudo public is extremely odd. And it, whether it's extremely odd just based on the case and if they knew anything or if it's just odd by behavior. Like, is this how we communicate now through Facebook groups? Do we actually send messages about yes, <laughs> missing person cases and potential potential homicides? Is that how we communicate now? Do we say do we say do we say you know something and you need to tell them through Facebook now on a public thread? Yeah, this is 2017. James Conrad did it in 2015. This is something that happens today in, in, in today's day and age. Just, this is true crime in 2017. Facebook groups are a part of life. They're a part of true crime. Twitter groups, they're a part of true crime. All these social media things are a part of it too. Nancy Grace accepts tips from Twitter. Yes, it's all a part of it today. What's really frustrating is when you reach out to these people like the people you mentioned, like Conrad. And I guarantee if we reach out to the people who we're talking about in the Brianna Maitland Facebook group, these people won't talk publicly. So what where do we where is it that that it that these are these people are these wound culture people? Do they want to do they do they just want to get like their get their rocks off like in that group and say, I know something, you know something, you're bored, you're drunk, what's going on? Could be. Could be either of those, all of those. Or are you legit? Or are you legit? And how the fuck are we supposed to figure it out? It's something that, that you know, kids do on the internet. They'll, they'll have a public conversation about something that's incredibly private. You know what's funny is you say this is something that kids do, but in Tim and I's experience with, with Maura's case and with this case so far, I there's been not one kid doing it. I feel like kids know fucking better. I feel like it's adults who just don't have anything else to do. Like a boredom thing. I don't think it's either of those. I, I think we touched on it. it. It's 2017. It's Facebook group. It's, it's social media. I got this medium. Social yeah. media is the same as a text. It's the same as a phone call. It's easier than a phone call. It's easy. And it goes out to thousands of people, and we're talking about it right now, and thousands of people are listening. It's what it is today. But you know what? You, yeah, you put your name out there, and the second we mention your name, all of a sudden, like, you, you know, you've been – you violated my privacy. You've been docked. You know, you doxed me or something like that. I think that posts like that, it they're quick, they're easy, they reach a bunch of people, so it gives whoever's posting that dose of attention or whatever they're looking for. But once uh, an opportunity presents to actually have a conversation in private with someone that could actually be meaningful in an investigation, that's not what they're looking for. I feel like no. they were just looking for a quick way to get attention or to get entertainment when they were bored. And then once someone is serious about it, they don't want that attention anymore. Yeah, like, holy shit. Yeah, what have I done? What did I do?
When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait.